0: Please remain standing and hear these words from Jesus from the Gospel of John. Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who by the door, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, to him the gatekeeper opens. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Hugh is a hired hand, and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my own know me, just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. The grass withers, and the flower fades. Amen. Please be seated. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this great work that this dear shepherd did for us. May we live as um, his flock. May we know who we are because we have been told so by him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be here. My name is Mike Kelly, as you see in the bulletin. Um, I've been called a number of things. Uh, I've got some names that high school buddies called me. I won't be sharing those. But um, my mom called me Mickey. Don't call me Mickey. That was what my mom called me. Craig, do you hear me? I don't want to be called Mickey. Um, but now I'm a grandparent. And so I was looking forward to being called granddad. And the reason is, is that... My granddad was granddad, and my dad to all of uh, his grandchildren were called granddad. So I was set to be called granddad, but then this is what happened. What happened is a two-year-old called me Baba, and now I'm Baba. So here's a a little life lesson for those of you who are young. You basically live like 50-something years, and a toddler gives you a name. So that's how it works. And, and uh, I don't know where Baba came from. I know I'm not the only Baba, but we've never used it in generations of my family's history. And Sandy hasn't. But our daughter, uh, our daughter Brianna, has now named me. And I want to ask who's going to name you. Who gets to say who you are? Who gets to decide why you were made? Who gets to choose which of your passions come from the real you, the you that's redeemed, that was created, that was intended by God, and which come from that false us, that old man or old woman, that those desires that don't align, not only with how God made us, but also what God has for us. Because what we're going to see in this passage is that when Jesus calls you, he's telling you, who you are. Salvation is not only an introduction to God and his work, but it's also an introduction to ourselves. To learn that from this passage, well, um, we're going to jump around a little bit. We will in a moment go all the way back to the early part of the Bible for just for a minute. And then at the end, we'll go to the very end of the Bible, but just for a moment. And uh, we'll take a journey to learn about how the gospel, Jesus, tells us who we are. But first, I want to underline some things we've read. Listen to this. To him, the true shepherd, the gatekeeper, opens the door. Listen to this. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. That's you if you're a Christian. And he leads them out. And when he has brought them out all of his own, he goes before them, and they follow him, And this is the characteristic mark of the Christian throughout Scripture. They know his voice and they will not follow strangers because no matter how beautifully or compellingly or eloquently those strangers speak, they know somehow, we know, that it's not the shepherd's voice. As as Peter said A little earlier in this gospel, Jesus said some hard things and people started to leave. And then Jesus says, are you going to leave me too? Um, And Peter says, where am I going to go? Where are we going to go? You have the very words of life. Later on in this same gospel, Jesus is praying and and he describes to the Father and to the rest of us who his people are. I gave them your word and they received it. Christianity, if you're exploring it, is a, a message about a person and the story of God's redemption, but it comes through his word. This is a word-centered religion, a logos-centered faith. And the mark of the believer is that they listen to God. Now, raise your hand if you listen perfectly to God. Please raise your hand Right now, we will make you the pastor, and you can finish this sermon. Well, of course we don't, but there is um, in us an anchor that knows the voice of God and knows the voice of the world. And though we might stumble and wander some, we will always come back. And what he says in this passage, he calls his own sheep by name. So I want to talk a little bit about names. I want to give us some names in the Bible. Um, Some of them we remember, some of them we don't, because I want us to understand that when the Bible talks about our name, when the Bible makes much of names, as we'll see in the end of this message from the book of the Revelation, um, it is placing the individual in the story arc of God's creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. So when Jesus says he calls us by name, he's not saying, hey, hey, Mike, I, I get to call you Mickey too. He's saying, he's saying, Mike, I call you by name. I know who you are. Listen to this. Adam means man. You recognize Adam. Eve means bring forth life. Abraham, his name means exalted father of many. Melchizedek is the king of righteousness. Here's, here's one of my favorite ones. Meher Shalal Hashbaz. That is Isaiah's boy. And his name means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. And now remember, like his buddies in grade school, they didn't need that name translated. They just knew what it meant. What about Loru Hama, not loved. Lo Ami, not my people. Sabah, my delight is in her. We could go on and on. Peter is the rock. And of course, the Lord is Yahweh. I am that I am. When Jesus says he calls you by name, he's not just saying he knows you, he has a file on you. He is calling you to tell you who you are, who he's made you to be and who he's redeeming you to be. And it's the acquiescence, our subjection to Jesus to tell us who we are that is really at the heart of discipleship. I was at a restaurant once and the server had this really beautiful name. And uh, I asked her what it meant, my wife and I reading and she goes, oh, it doesn't mean anything. My mom just made up the name because she liked the sound of it. Well, okay. But that's fine for a name, but for a name that lasts forever, for a name that tells you who you are, what I'm telling us from Jesus is that we are more than a sound and a name that we get to fill the meaning into. Because from the very beginning. Humanity's problem in the story of the creation and the fall, why the world is the way it is, if you're exploring the message of Christianity, from the very beginning, it was a a deception about three things. Who God is, what his word says, and who we are. That's what happens in the temptation in the garden. Did God really say The word of God, the sound of his voice questioned. What's really true about God is that he doesn't love you because you can be more than you want. That's the whole thing. This whole storyline of who God is and who we are is how the world got interrupted in the first place. It's what we've been dealing with all along. John Calvin, a great theologian, about 500 years ago, he wrote um, a book book called The Institutes, and this is the beginning, the very first sentences of his systematic theology. It says, all the knowledge we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. And which comes first and flows from the other is not easy to discern. If you want to figure out who you are, You listen to Jesus' voice and and you run with him. You run to him. His name means the Lord saves. He will save you from all the false selves that you will try to build and the world will try to impose on you. And you will discover who God is and therefore who you are. That's how it works. Unless, of course, you're confident that you can figure yourself out. And if you are confident that you can figure yourself out, then surf your phone for the next 20 minutes because I'm gonna be telling you that you're not. But I'll ask you this. Were you qualified to identify yourself when you were 15? And how do you feel about what you thought of yourself when you were 15? What about when you were 20, if you're older than 20? Did you just nail it when you were 20? What about 30? What about 50? And what makes me think, now that I'm 61, what makes me think that I won't have a better, more godly, robust understanding of who I am if I'm 80? If I live to 80 than I am now. We need to relinquish our self-understanding in order to discover who God made us to be and who he saved us to become. So that's sort of the setup. Now we've got to do some technical work about this really important word in the gospel of John. So we're going to look at, at one single word and we're going to see how John uses it all the way through. So you might want to, if you're taking notes, you might want to write these verses down because we're going to start in John and run through um, I'll try to I'll try to um, set the stage for you so you can see what we're doing. But it's the word voice, the word sound, um, phone. You know, you might recognize that from phonograph and others. It's it's how John uses it. It's the word Jesus used here. They know my phone. They understand me. So when you go back, when you go back to the beginning of John in chapter one verse twenty three, John the Baptist is the first one to use it, and he says. I am a voice crying in the wilderness. That's the first one. So John the Baptist, Here, I didn't even know that the Bible was put into verses when I became a Christian. So if you don't know that, that's cool. That's okay. But, uh, but John the Baptist was really the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament prophet. And so, so what the first word of the voices use of that word is saying is the whole promises of God are at hand. And then the next time that word is used, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And the sound of the Holy Spirit which blows like the tree like the wind through the trees, he's talking to a guy named Nicodemus. And so we have the promise, all the promises of the Bible, we have the spirit coming to make alive those who are dead as we find out later in that section. And then the next time it's in Jesus, coming out of Jesus' mouth, the friend of the bridegroom stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. So just take a look at what's happened so far in the first three uses. All the promises of Scripture have been evoked. The Spirit of God is present, and then the bridegroom has been introduced. That these this is the background why it's so important when Jesus says, You if you're mine, you understand my voice. You know the sound, its pitch, its tone, its message. Because the next time Jesus uses the word voice, he's saying it's me. Truly, truly, I say to this is that last one, by the way, I told you to write verses down. I didn't give them to you. The second one is John 3:8. The third one about the bridegroom is John 3:29. Now these are John 5:25 and 5:28. He speaks with a voice they have not heard. Truly I say to you the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear it will live. He goes on to say, "Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming, this is 5:28, when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice." All this leads up. These all this leads up The next time Jesus uses the word voice, or John does, is in our passage. He's saying, you want the promises fulfilled, the Spirit of God, the bridegroom? You want those things fused into one? Then I am your shepherd, and you will hear my voice, and I will tell you who God is, who I am, and who you are. It is so emphatic for Christ. Then listen to what he says later. We didn't read this, I, but later on in John chapter 10, I want you to listen to this carefully because the mark of the Christian is that they heed the word of Christ, including those from the apostles and prophets that he sent to us. That's, what he, that's the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. Remember, they hear my voice and what do, what do they do? What do all the sheep do? They hear my voice and they think about it. They hear my voice and they Google it. Now, this, this is not true. You should be recognizing that I'm not telling the truth. No, they hear my voice and they follow me. The Christian life is doing what Jesus says. But listen to this. He's speaking to others. He says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. That's remarkable. He does not say, you are not my sheep because you do not believe. He says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Because I'm telling you now, is it where Jesus is saying, I'm telling you now, my sheep hear my voice, and when I call, they come. That's how we all know they're my sheep. So what I want to ask you then, well, what do we hear? What is it about this voice that began with the promises and the prophets of the Hebrew Scriptures that was declared present by John the Baptist that moves through hearts like a breeze through trees that announces the bridegroom and that Jesus says is his own voice? What will you hear? And the very first thing I want you to know is that you hear love. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Whatever Christ says to you, however stern, however unpleasant, however costly it appears, however stark and frightful, and he will say all these things to you if you follow him. Whatever he says, including things like, You must take up your cross and follow me and die to self. You must die to yourself. You always know that his words are loving. Because the one who said this to you gave his life up for you. That is the great proof of the love of God. The unequivocal moment in human history, the anchor by which you are to interpret everything God says and everything that happens in your life, and more importantly, everything that doesn't happen in your life, you are to know that the one who said this to you is also the one who gave up his life for you. All of Jesus' words are loving, but not all of Jesus' words feel kind. All of Jesus' words are loving, but they're not all comfortable. All of Jesus' words bring you consolation, but they also cost you your very life and your dreams and your passions and your desires because he wants to take over every single part of your life how you think how you feel how you behave what you do with your money what you do with your time how you treat your friends and your workmates and everybody else Jesus came to take over your life the question that you and I have all the time one of them is is he loving enough to do that and the answer is yes Yes, he is loving. There's been an unequivocal moment. One of Jesus' prophets, the apostle Paul, put it this way. How will he who gave you his own son, not also along with him, give you all things? That's your proof. That's how you interpret Jesus' word. That's how you interpret his providence. He's proven his love to you. What more should he do? because he'll ask you to give up passions and desires and dreams. And you have to know, you have to hear a loving voice. But, but you know, I love my kids, but my arm's too short to save them. And my uh, power fails them But the second thing, his sheep hear. Not only that he's loving, but also they hear power. And you need to hear both of these things if you know the voice of your shepherd. You need to know that he is loving and he has the authority and the power to do everything he's promised and make everything right for you in the end. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay my life down for the sheep and take it up again. No one takes it for me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. Listen to what he says. He has fused his love for God and his love for you with his power to make it all right. Right? For this reason, the Father loves me. Jesus was always above everything, even when he made himself below everything. He was always the author of life, even when he let them take his life. The imminence and presence of the incarnation and the abasement of the crucifixion Obscure for us in our dim eyes, the exaltation and the power of Christ exhibited through everything he ever did and everything he ever said. He was not a victim swept into a cruel fate, he chose his fate. He wasn't betrayed. Surprisingly, but he betrayed, He was betrayed because he resolved to be faithful. When he was on the cross, he was the freest man who ever lived. And it is this inverted, elegant, unexpected, unimaginable power to bring life out of death and the love to make it so that you and I should hear in his voice No matter what he's telling us to do, no matter what part of us he wants us to die to, no matter what he's asking our life to become and be by his providence and his promises, we always hear someone who proved his love and his power in the same moment. And because of that, we let him tell us who we are and what we should do, and how we should feel, and what we should love, and how we should think, and where we should go, and how much time we should spend on this, and where our money should go for that, because we understand that he knows our name. He knows where we belong in the story of God's redemption. no matter what he says to us. If your life is working out exactly the way you imagined it would, I'm happy for you. I really am genuinely happy for you as long as you're leading the right life. But if it's not, if who you dreamt of and what you wanted has remained elusive or even ricocheted back onto you, then understand that, that Christ's love and power have not been overcome by that. It's part of his purpose to tell you who you really and truly are. But as you try to listen to Christ's voice, and we'll, we'll look at one more moment about names at the end as we close out, Understand that there's a thousand strangers that want to tell you who you are. And guess what? You're one of them. You know, uh, my name is Michael Francis Kelly. My whole name, speaking of names. This This is my family. John Harrington, Joseph Patrick, Stephen James, Michael Francis, and Mary Fitzgerald. My sister did 23 and Me, and we're like 98.6% Celtic. But you want to know something 100 years ago? Did you know that Irish people weren't white people in America? That's the truth. Because we were Roman Catholics, and we, weren't from, we were from the wrong part of Europe, so to speak. Also, you know who else didn't make the cut early on? Italians I'm sorry if you're Italian but you didn't know this but 100 years ago your family was not white This is established sociological reality You weren't included and now we are we you know However that happened maybe Kennedy became president we were okay with Catholics I don't know But but the point is identity is upon us with a vengeance it's racial, ethnic, economic, LGBTQI. But I want us to understand that that's not a, like a thing that erupted during COVID. People have been trying to name themselves differently for, their, for since time immemorial. Dominant cultures and oppressed cultures and peoples have always been trying to decide who they are. That's the whole gender, sexual thing. It's the economic thing. It's it's immigrants. It's everything. It's the way the world is because at the very beginning of sin, it started with questioning God's word, questioning his goodness, and questioning who you are. So when Jesus says... My sheep hear my voice and I call them by name and they won't listen to a stranger. You have really two choices. Listen to Jesus or listen to the 10 million others, including yourself, the TikTokers, the pop singers, the neighbors, the political parties, the people who are like you. They want to name you and don't let them. But mostly don't let yourself name you. Let Jesus name you, and he will do that by his word. Every time he tells you what to do, he's telling you who you are. Every time he says no to something you want, he's telling you who you are. Every time he asks you to sacrifice something that's meaningful to you, he's telling you who you are. He knows who you are. Your identity is given and discovered. It's not decided. The journey of discipleship is the journey of discovering by obedience and providence and faith and the love and the power of Jesus who God made you to be how your sin and the world's sin messed up who you are and how his gracious redemption will save you. And by saving you, I don't mean save your abstract soul as if all souls are the same. Jesus is saving you and your name. Like the you that is you, the real you, the peculiar you the very specific you that was never before and will always be, that's who he's saving. And listen to how it ends. Jesus says to the church in the book of Revelation, one of his letters, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. the one who conquers, I will give him a white stone with a name written on it that no one knows except the one who receives it. So imagine this, you hold your faith, you listen to Christ. And then at the end of it all, Jesus comes to you. Imagine the scene he's describing here. This is Jesus and everyone who kept their faith. This is Jesus handing a stone to every one of his billions of people. This will take some time. It, it will also be very immediate, very intimate, and very personal. And you will hold this stone. I, I won't go into all the things the stone could mean. Um, go! Don't Google that because no telling what you'll find. Ask Pastor Craig what that is. But 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 capture the scene here. He said that he knows his sheep. He calls them by name. The fact is you don't know your name yet. But it will be in this moment at the end when Jesus looks at you close enough to take a stone from his own pierced hand and place it in yours. And you will open that stone. You will open your hand and you will look at that stone and you will see the name by which he was always calling you. And like all those other names that we looked at at the beginning of this message, you will understand how your life and everything that hurt and everything that was full of joy and everything that happened and everything that didn't happen all fit into that perfect moment to make you who Jesus knew you were all along And by his love and his power, made sure you became. Jesus said to you and to me, My sheep know my voice, and I call them by name. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. I ask you to give us faith to let you decide who we are, me included. Preaching this and living it are different things. But you are the same and your love and your power is true forever. We pray in your good name. Amen.